Hi, this is Jordan. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I specialize in the gaming industry and today I am your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tobias Remmers, Marcus Bodin, and Robin Cederholm to discuss gameplay production and how we create fun and the ways that it's assessed. After having technical issues last time, Edward couldn't join us today, unfortunately, but still wants his question answering. So before we jump into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some small introductions. Uh, Robin, do you want to kick us off? Sure thing. So hello, everyone. My name is Robin Cederholm. I'm a producer at uh, Coffee Stain Publishing. Uh, I have about 13 years in the industry. I worked previously for a long time at Paradox Interactive, uh, primarily as a producer. And before that, I also worked a few years at Arrowhead Game Studios as a co-founder and a man of many hats, uh, but among them production work as well. Fantastic. Tobias? Yeah, uh, I'm a producer at uh, Starbreeze, and I've been working here for for about 10 years now. Uh, I've been working on Payday basically through my entire career. So it's been very interesting to follow this project through the various roles that I've had. And uh, as Robin, sort of various different hats I've had in the projects as well. It's been very interesting. And last but not least, Marcus. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, really excited to be here and to be discussing this topic. This is at the core of game development, in my opinion. My name is Marcus Bodin. I'm a senior producer at Mojang Studios and work with the game teams developing vanilla Minecraft. I live in Stockholm here with my fiance and baby boy of nine months. Perfect. Uh, thank you, everyone there. So now we've got a bit of a context to everyone. Uh, let's move on to the topic that we've agreed on. Um, so everyone has got a question or a statement that they want to ask to the group on gameplay production and how fun is created and how is that then assessed. So we're going to go around the room asking everyone to pose a question and the reasons that they've asked it. Everyone is going to have their own opinion uh, and the opportunity to give their take on that situation. So let's start with Marcus. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll start off with the background on this question then. So working with a live game such as Minecraft, we need to balance the effort put into improving legacy gameplay and adding new gameplay. And with Minecraft being a sandbox game and almost 15 years of age, we have quite a large ecosystem of features where many have a dependency to each other, which means we can't just release a feature in the game and be happy with it forever. Uh, we need to continuously evaluate if it's still fun and if it's still fulfilling its purpose uh, as we add new features to the game. So. How do we know if what we currently have in the game is fun enough so we can make the call on the distribution of effort between legacy improvements and new gameplay development? Which leads to my question, what metric or combination of metrics best represent if a player is perceiving a game as fun? And I'll I'll give my take on this while I have the word. Uh, <laughs> so in my opinion, um, there is no one metric to rule them all in this case. Um, over time, we can gather insights from the regular metrics as, as monthly active users, stickiness, engagement time, churn, retention, etc. cetera. Uh, but these are all lag measures. These are things that will, will unfold after time uh, and having the game live for some time. So honing in too much on one specific metric to understand player satisfaction, I think can also be dangerous and lead to short-term thinking. And that's not a good way to develop a sustainable game. And uh, talking about lead lead measures uh, instead of lag measures, I think can give us early insights on uh, if we're on the right track. Ideally, these come from 
direct player interaction, in my opinion. Uh, and of course, it's important that we think our own game is fun as well. So developer feedback is a good gate to pass through. Uh, but direct player interaction and insights from engaging with your community of players and asking them that simple question, like, is this fun, I think is most valuable. Uh, right, and, and that won't be a binary answer in, in most cases, right? But we'll get valuable insights from that. Uh, so I think, uh, again, going back to there's no one metric to rule them all. I think being data informed uh, over being data driven in game development is really important. That's my take. Really interesting mm -hmm. to hear uh, what you guys think. Uh, when I heard the question, when I read the question the first time, I've had an interesting counter question, I, I guess. Uh, I was wondering about, or I was thinking about um, things like achievements uh, or uh, requirements within the game that uh, is bound to whatever feature you're talking you're talking about here. So. Let's say, for example, uh, take Minecraft as an example. I have an achievement to, to cut down 100 trees. Uh, then wouldn't a metric in terms of how fun it is to cut down trees uh, be bound to how many trees past 100 is the player cutting down? Meaning how much above the bare minimum are they utilizing this feature? Yeah, yeah, interesting. I, I, I don't know if we're too deep in Minecraft land there, but... Uh... <laughs> you know, to me, to me, that is a core mechanic of the game. You have to cut down a tree. I'm probably going in too much to detail, but I, I, I think um, you know it depends on the type of player. This is really they're they're going to always going to be different player archetypes. I think that in in any game. So for one specific player, that could be a definition of fun. Sure, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I think again, going back to you know. If we can ask the player, why are you continuing to cut down trees in this case uh, and getting that response? I think that's that's yeah. valuable. Yeah, yeah. I, I took Minecraft as an example because, because you asked the questions. But actually, yeah. we had a very, very similar example from our own project, uh, very close to the previous uh, recording time, where the amount that the people needed to do to get the, the, the sort of uh, rewards that we had set out, was very, very low. But then we saw on the data that they were doing 100 times more of this particular activity in terms of the event that we had at that time. Um, and then to me, that is an indication of that people are enjoying the, the event and are engaging with it beyond the bare minimum. It's also, right. if we want to measure funding games, it's taking the tree cutting example again. I think this is great. We do this in Valheim as well over at Coffee Stain. So, you know, it's a general game mechanic we see in most games. But like, uh, there's a difference, uh, of course, in games where some stuff you do pure, like as a player, purely because you do enjoy it. Like you're doing it over and over again because it's part of uh, what you enjoy about the game. Other stuff, you might be more motivated because like it's something you just need to do in order to get to the next sort of action or whatever it of might course. be. If you're cutting down trees, you're primarily probably doing it because you like you need the wood, not because mm -hmm. you're a, like a wood chucking enthusiast uh, at heart. Um, and then it becomes like more important, like how do you make that uh, action enjoyable enough or at least not too tedious. So it becomes like a friction point uh, because like a part of playing games is also to a certain degree doing things that aren't necessarily pure, you know, dopamines in on itself. Mm. Like, it, or well, maybe it is dopamine oriented because you're actually going for the long term goal and the process is like enjoyable somehow. But uh, coming back to the, the metric question. 
Uh, I agree with what you said, Marcus. I think it's multifaceted. Like, there's no. I don't think there's even like three uh, like perfect metrics of that. There's definitely some of them that might be more useful than others, such as playtime uh, from voluntary players. Like, if you have a live game and people are spending a lot of time in the game, they are probably having fun, uh, or there's something wrong with them. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, user reviews and stuff. But I think the the important part when it comes to trying to assess fun is like, like, are we having fun when we're playing the games? We as in the people working on it, uh, are people like actual gamers saying they are having fun? Mm. And does the data actually indicate as well that people are having fun? Then I think we have a three-pronged sort of... Okay, probably as well. Yeah, and going back to uh, the pandemic situation we're just coming out of with, where gaming has had a huge upswing, right? And and active players, it's really difficult to to uh, detract the seasonality uh, force from active players. So if we're now declining in active players because people are going back to living regular lives, uh, <laughs> how do we know if that's an indication of? Uh, no, is the game less fun or are people just having less time or uh, like it, is the market different to coming out more fun games now? Uh, the competition is is tougher. Uh, mm. So yeah, just looking at, at one metric, I think, is is dangerous. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, 100% agree. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of gaming uh, happening during the pandemic, which was, <laughs> was good for us professionally, but also good for us maybe as individuals as we were <laughs> trying to pass the time ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I think a lot of people might sometimes get a bit too hung up on like the met, like only the data, so to speak. And it becomes kind of like you need to look at, like you need to take in the reality around you and look at the data. If you're trying to see everything through data, you're going to probably make some wild widely bad decisions yeah, because data is so obviously affected by by meta as well like uh, it might if you look at the data maybe it looks like the particular weapon or whatever is super fun to play but it mm. just happens to uh, be more powerful not necessarily more enjoyable to use oh yeah a, for sure yeah i think that's a good point a good mm. example because you know, if if we only look at one specific feature too much, uh, we might end up destroying the balance of the game and what actually makes it fun, like how how features interact with each other. Uh, going back to the tree cutting example, if, we, <laughs> if that's all we look at, let's just make it as fun as possible cutting trees. What happens to the rest of the game? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay, perfect, perfect. Unless anyone's got an actual answer for that. Um, Tobias, are you yeah. ready with your question? Absolutely. Um, so I was actually thinking a little bit uh, outside of the sort of games that I'm working on, rather the sort of games that I might play myself or that's uh, in my head had a very different way of looking at the game than what we're working on. Uh, so my question was, how do you ensure a game with quote unquote frustrating fun uh, difficulty? is still fun and not just frustrating as your dev team might get better at the game than a given player playing the same area. And I know that got a little bit wordy, but what I mean is uh, obviously dev teams and QAs will be replaying the same area over and over again, and it will be uh, possibly significantly better at that one area than a first-time player. And I find that uh, could be potentially quite scary on a game such as, I don't know, um, Super Meat Boy or Dark Souls that are very uh, balancing that knife edge 
and don't don't have the fallback of the players being able to switch difficulty to adjust for uh, the fun to their to their skill level. Um, and that's why I thought it, it was an interesting question to discuss. Yeah, I think it was a really good question. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I'll 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 no, give it a go yeah. first. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, no, but I, I thought it was a really good question. Um, and I mean, it's both uh, a challenge for sort of creating fun in games as well as uh, you know just assessing difficulty levels or like what's a good good entry point uh, for a new player when everybody that's working on the game and primarily playing it throughout development they're going to be experts at it to some degree. Um, I mean, we all know that as well. Like, even if the dev team tends to be extremely good at the game, it doesn't take too long for a game to to go out into the wild before players out there like far surpass them uh, in skill. But, um, but I think this is uh, I couldn't recommend like playtesting and or uh, any type of like community uh, engagement more here, where like invite people to play the game and just look at how they're playing and listen to what they're saying um and for, for the love of god take some of your pride and just like put it put it in a little <laughs> cupboard somewhere for the time being and just like really listen and observe uh because uh sometimes you might feel like no they're going about it the wrong way you're like oh they don't understand it's like yeah no and that's what people are gonna do so yeah, you should I, was expect thinking, it. I was thinking about that as well it is sort of how important it is to not only take yourself out of the situation but uh also, maybe uh, having the one that uh, organizes and um, uh, sort of uh, oversees these tests and not being directly involved in the yeah. in the development, so you can get that sort of first hand and uh, and true feedback. Yeah, I, I think when, when putting together these focus groups, I think mm -hmm. this is. Uh, really interesting uh we need to have a, a diverse focus group right we can't mm -hmm. just have uh top tier gamers uh who are used to all all game mechanics and kind of can tackle any any problem um and i think this goes for this goes for the game team as well like the yeah. importance of having a diverse game team um for everyone to have a different background a different different perspective uh, i think that's where you know Specifically in gaming, it's really interesting to see the value of a diverse team. Mm. That's 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 quite beautiful, in my opinion. Yeah, I find it interesting too because we are making games for diverse markets, and we're making games for everyone, right? And that's the that's the dream uh, that anyone will be able to play our games uh, and and enjoy them. Um, but when you are looking at focus groups, especially taken from your community and from your fans. Uh, it will most likely be the most hardcore of your fans and most hardcore players that are the first ones to reach out, uh, to raise their hand saying, yes, I want to be part of the play testers and, and the, the sort of focus groups. Um, I find it a very interesting challenge to, to get focus groups diverse. Yeah, and you also, you want to make sure you're <laughs> diversifying your testing group in the right way where, mm -hmm. I mean, when you're selling the, let's say you're making a hardcore strategy game, uh, crazy random example here, uh, but it's a good one because it is a bit of a niche within gaming as well. Like you're not talking about the most broad um, market here. No. You don't want to bring in like the most casual players necessarily, unless perhaps you are specifically wanting to test kind of like just how like accessible or not accessible is this game actually. 
but you want to get people that like at least should be interested in this type of game. Like they mm-hmm. would probably consider like, you know, picking this up and spending their time with it. Uh, but then within that group, you definitely want like you don't want people that are all already experts in that genre right. because then you're going to miss a lot of valuable feedback probably. Right. You want a diversity within that target group. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and this is the, the complexity. Like if you have a very broad target group, how do you balance yeah. uh, like a simple onboarding to the game while at the same yeah. time adding this level of frustration that builds up over time? Mm. I mean, the, yeah, the tried and tested basic way would be like, yeah, you set up a tutorial and the tutorial is skippable, which is probably mm. the, also in a way the worst way of doing it or the most boring way of doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's really hard if you want to make it like a natural sort of uh, progression for the player where regardless of experience, you just start playing and you're figuring things out in whatever pace you're comfortable with yeah. uh, if you can do that you're really good at what you're doing i think and that's yeah. also a bit more easy if you have a game that leans into that sort of exploratory um open world the uh, sort of approach of of gaming so you you can take things in your own in your own way and uh that, that, yeah. then you have that for you of course. yeah if there's no external pressure especially like the player can actually just take their time uh, and the game won't really punish them or like they'll be fine. Uh, I, th- I think this question is is particularly interesting because it's when we talk about frustration um, and being frustratingly fun, like mm-hmm. that goes a bit like the, the lines between gaming and psychology get a bit blurred <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you have to put this on the on the right level, right? You need you need that positive frustration for immersion um, and and. and how do you find that balance? I think it's, a, it's such an interesting question. Uh, I'm not a game designer myself, so <laughs> I don't have a, yeah. a, a great answer to this question. Like, how do we design the game? But uh, it is it is super interesting. Uh, and balancing that with negative frustration, right? The yeah. Yeah. bugs must, and, and poor frame rate. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, you, wa- you probably want, like, maybe not for all games, but you probably want, like, at least small bits of frustration or negative experience, like... First of all, for contrast, or like that makes the positive stuff, you know, feel more. If you're just barraged with a bunch of like positive, you know, feedbacks, they're going to quickly sort of devalue uh, themselves or it's going to feel maybe boring. Like you want to struggle a bit, but not always, but for many games. Uh, but yeah, when you talk about frustrating fun, uh, I always think about like Dark Souls games and similar. Of course, yeah. But I have a big respect for I've tried a few of them myself and I've sort of enjoyed the experience for a short amount of time. And then I've been like, I get what they're doing. They're really good at it. This is not for me. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I, I do like the, the Dark Souls games and I, you get really hooked on that. Here is a brick wall to bang your head against for two yeah. hours, but it feels so good when that brick yeah. wall breaks. Mm-hmm. However, I've, uh, I built bad characters in Dark Souls as well when the brick wall doesn't break and that feels so bad so i would say frustrating fun is like blowing inflating a balloon right mm. and if you can't break the balloon then then it failed like then 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 yeah. you it's a it's a problem there and i think that like that also goes into the what we were talking about with picking your uh, your focus group because i think if you have a, a testing environment a focus group environment people get very stressed or at least i've been when i was in in similar situations where I want to get past these obstacles. You don't give it the sort of time that you would if you're sitting down and playing uh, for fun. 
Mm. Yeah, and I think it's important, especially if you're working with uh, frustration as part of your yeah. game experience or whatever. You need to do a good job in communicating in one way or another to the player, like why they're failing. Um, so they know what it is they need to sort of figure out. So it just doesn't feel like a, I don't know if you, like you guys probably remember playing games way back in the day where uh, <laughs> maybe the design uh, level in general was not quite as high it is, as it is today, um, where sometimes the game like you just get stuck and it's like the way you progress is so extremely obscure uh, luckily you didn't have a lot to choose from so you would like continue bashing your head against that wall for like ages you google it, right? no exactly you couldn't google it or anything you just have to like try crazy things in order to figure it out uh, but that doesn't fly anymore like now you probably need to make sure the player understands uh, what it is that you're supposed to do, uh, even if they won't be able to achieve it just in. Tobias, you mentioned uh, early on, you, t you talked a bit about levels like, or, or difficulties. One uh, mm -hmm. way around this is, is adding more difficulties. And um, But what if you did, weren't able to do that? Yeah. Uh, what if you had one difficulty? Um, I'm curious about dynamic difficulty and, and what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah. Sorry for, for a bit of a tangent here, but... Uh, Love that tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I love I, I I think that's interesting because there was a, a game that made big headlines about uh, having a dynamic difficulty and people felt cheated uh, cheated by by because they they felt like they overcome this big um, I don't know if I should say the name of the game but like it, it's a big zombie boss or whatever and uh, then they found out that it has a dynamic difficulty that the game went easy on them uh, if you with air quotes uh, and it didn't feel as rewarding after the fact which i found was super weird because to me it's the struggle and this, this sort of getting to the end of the game that's that's what what you want to do like it's again this was sort of brick wall example the alternative would be that you just bash your head against a brick wall and never win and that's not fun like i'm all for dynamic difficulty if that fits with the the sort of game experience that you want and obviously the game in question here the experience that they wanted was that people should finish the game which might not necessarily i don't want to say that dark souls don't want their players to finish the game but they want they want that to be a trophy right i finished dark souls um why am i naming one and not the other but resident evil 4 for example did not have ah. that approach <laughs> i was so I curious sometimes yeah for, for some reason it felt was. like i should not name other games but i had done that in my questions it's like super weird i guess we shouldn't like talk badly about any games in particular but i don't think what you're saying now is any like i don't think that says oh, anything bad about resident evil 4 no no, no I, uh, i'll go I, on the I, record I, and say i really like resident evil 4 for the record Resident Evil and Dark Souls are my two favorite uh, favorite uh, game franchises. I have all the games, including all the board games. Big nerd here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically what, what uh, they landed in, or what, I think you're landing in, Tobias, is that uh, you know, if I complete a game uh, and tell my friends, and it's a dynamic difficulty, then uh, that doesn't really say anything. No, exactly. Yeah. No, but it's like I can, on the one hand, I can really understand uh, why some people get upset because I'm aware that some people they really want to sort of like compete even if they're not doing it directly but like to be able to feel like I accomplished something that many other people don't necessarily are able to uh, but at the same time it's 
like you take Mass Effect, for example, that's also an example of where the game experience will vary quite a bit from person to person, depending on the choices they made, etc. And I think that's also part of the fun, like kind of talking about like how things were different for the other person. I think that's like a fun added value. I guess maybe not the same in, uh, when it comes to like sort of challenge level. But um, do you know if Resident Evil 4, if the dynamic difficulty was like strictly stats as in, you know, more or less damage done, more or less HP or... Was it more I like remember, I don't remember? There, oh, there was okay. an article about it, uh, but uh, no, I, I don't remember how it changed. If it changed the the stats of the enemies or the amount of enemies, uh, yeah, and or abilities. I figured, yeah. That, yeah. But it's an interesting challenge. Like I think I understand what they were going for, and I think they like that's sort of an honorable thing to do. Like try to make sure that regardless of what level you are at, you are having a good like game experience where you're reasonably challenged uh, and are able to complete the game. Uh, And I would probably be surprised if there is a backlash for that, where it's like, okay, this people didn't like this. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I could see that being missed in a focus group as well. Just asking people, what do you think about this? And it's like, well, it's, it's frustrating fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But then when it gets out, you know, and, and, uh, friends start playing together this this whole situation turns up mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if part of it is the fact that it's a solo game yeah i wonder if dynamic difficulty is easier to accept i guess is that's a, such a harsh word but um should i let's name drop another game like i'm currently playing a little bit of warhammer and as a multiplayer game i find that very interesting because we're four players two of which are ridiculously good. I'm not, and I'm me and my other friend is not very good. So we can choose our own difficulties and have fun and play together uh, in a way that just wouldn't be possible if we had to commit to a single difficulty, because either half of us would be bored or the other half would be completely stomped and not be able to play. How's the dynamic difficulty handled in the multiplayer? Uh, context like uh, whoever is uh getting attacked the ai is either oh, okay okay weaker or smarter so gotcha. yes we can join together and uh, the good guys uh, have a very easy fight if it's me who's getting attacked um but uh whenever i'm joining them they're, they're gonna have to handhold me a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think that might yeah. play into it uh and like marcus said like or uh, like if you're running a play test and for a single player game you're just letting people play a single player experience then you're not going to notice that if they talk to each other uh, there might be a problem and i yeah, think I- if i recall correctly this article came out and the backlash came out quite a bit after the release of the game as well yeah it makes sense okay great we had a fantastic discussion there really enjoyed that uh that question and back and forth um so with the next question this is edward's question so obviously i'm not going to be able to give you a background and, and edward's opinion on this one guys um so we'll just ask the question and let you guys go at it um so edward wanted to know how do you make sure that the very core of a feature of features is as fun as it can be and how all the details come together as fun as it can be. <laughs> if only we had all the time and resources in the world. Uh, I think this one is is tricky. Uh, it's it's like the the famous Leonardo da Vinci quote: uh, "Art, a piece of art is never completed, only abandoned." Uh, it, <laughs> it, it feels like gaming. Uh, I, I think at some point the you know the effort versus value tipping point uh, is reached. So you know if we're if we're adding to this feature 
trying to make it as fun as possible. At some point, players are not going to notice the difference, at least, you know, the average player. Uh, and I think that the difficulty is, is identifying when is that, when have we reached that point? When could we be spending time and effort on improving something else in the game, adding something else to the game that would give even more value? So this one, this is really a, a production question. <laughs> it's tricky to me. Yeah, yeah it's really... Yeah, really tricky. Um, and also, I think it's or a part of me goes like, I think the answer could be very easy, but then the reality of that answer is so much more complex than any like, you know, fortune cookie truth. <laughs> like, but like, if you define what your game is supposed like what it is your game is supposed to do and what it is supposed to be fun, you can usually do that like theoretically pretty early on, like you have a game idea or whatever game concept. Um, define the core, that core get that working like as soon as possible like you should be able to prototype it pretty short amount of time in theory um and then like you continue iterating on it but then of course in reality like that iteration process is can be so time consuming uh the game might have been fun in the beginning and then you've sort of built on it and somehow along the way so like things aren't quite as enjoyable anymore and people can't really tell if it's because they've already played this so much or they're playing it in a broken you know or development state um, and they might simply start focusing on the wrong things or like forgetting what the core is supposed to be uh, so I, yeah i find it interesting marcus you took the approach of da, Vin da vinci's quote there um that it's never uh, uh, done is abandoned as in you keep working on this feature uh, trying to make it as fun as possible um, when I heard a question I my head went the exact opposite uh, direction in terms of quotes uh, from <laughs> Antoine de Saint something I did not google this right uh, three seconds ago I'll promise <laughs> um, I was thinking of the, the perfection is achieved when there's nothing uh, not when there's nothing more to add but when there's nothing more to take away if you're talking about the most fun in the core um would, what i'm seeing is early iterations early play tests trying to play with as little features as possible is that fun is it fun cutting down a tree <laughs> sort of sort of approach and then you add additional systems on top of it yeah. But maybe I got the the head around the question incorrectly. No, no, I I, I think it's uh, I think we're on the same path. And I, what I meant with that is not that we should continue working on it forever. I meant that you know at some point we have to ship it. And mm -hmm. art is uh, if we take Leonardo da Vinci's art, you, you know, it's it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, it, for for most people, I don't know if there are, are really tough art critics that don't like it, but um, you know we have to ship it at some point, and and it it usually is is fun. Um, so we we should uh, it's it's that you know perfect is uh, what did it say perfect is is the opposite of good or or the uh, <laughs> antagonist of good I don't know something like that I, I just thought it was fun that uh, our heads went in completely different directions yeah. from the question <laughs> good setup for a podcast right <laughs> <laughs> um, but Robin I think you 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 hit it here with uh, iteration being key I I agree yeah. with that um, like getting time to work on uh having something ready uh get feedback on that and continue looping that process yeah. um, and if you ever find yourself like i think this gets easier if you did it sort of right from the beginning whereas you created some sort of prototype where you're able to do that thing that you think should be fun and it is sort of fun like maybe it's a bit basic or you you're only having fun for a minute or two but 
you know, it's there. Mm. Uh, and if you continue working on it, at some point you find that like it's no longer fun. You can at least start backtracking. You just try to go back to that core. And it's like, okay, it was fun here, but now mm. it's not really enjoyable anymore. What went wrong or like, what should we try out here? But if you like, unfortunately, so many uh, game developers do this as well. Like they build, they just build and build and they keep thinking like the fun is going to come when pretty much all the building blocks are in place. That that's where the the fun magic is. When we've added the appear. polish, right? There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, so they expect like, you know, well, you know, I don't know, a year or two years of development where you can't have fun when you're playing the game. Uh, it's coming later. That's a bad, bad place to be. Mm. Not, you know, you can still probably maybe make that work. But I don't want to be a doomsday person here. I think, but it's I very think that, common that people miss that sort of core focus mm, in the beginning. I think that ties back nicely to your to the quote you picked up, Tobias. That you know, focusing on the core. Uh, yeah, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at as well. Yeah, mm. and I think there the, there might be a problem though, especially when it comes to game development and live games, when you're trying to make an iterative feature uh, or a um, uh, a different version of an existing feature. So it will take a lot of development time to get to a point where the feature is significantly different from the feature it's based on uh, to be able to be evaluated. Uh, let's take like you're adding a new enemy type or something like that. And uh, you have to get all the basics done first before you can actually test it. Uh, so then it might be difficult to try it early. Whereas if it was the new, the first enemy, obviously he can move around and uh, function. You can try that out. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned early on. Uh, I talked a bit about the goal of the game. Uh, mm -hmm. I think this this goes for the goal of the feature because this question was specifically around features. Um, if we can understand what 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 is the goal of this feature, I think this is this a it's an easier approach to evaluate if it's a successful yeah. feature or not. And uh, from my experience, this is sometimes forgotten. Like we add a feature because, you know, someone said down the line that this is a good feature, we should be adding this to the game. Um, and somewhere along the lines, we lose track of, you know, why were we adding this? How does this fit mm. into the big picture? Um, yeah. And that can sometimes derail. Mm. And don't yeah. forget the famous, I saw this in game X, Y, and Z, so we <laughs> should have it in our game. Yeah, or this weekend I played. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and now I'm really inspired. I want to do a slightly <laughs> different game. Uh, no, but I, uh, I agree, uh, Marcus. I think it's really important that there is a, some sort of agreed upon, you know, idea, vision, uh, player fancy, whatever you want to go for early on, so that you can constantly kind of vet all the different directions and twists and turns the game development is going to have. To kind of like, are we still sort of going for that thing? Or are we now going sort of in a different direction? And it I can be fine, but you want to be aware of it. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. not, to, not to test features too much in isolation. They should be in the context they're oh, yeah. supposed to be in, right? 100% agree. Okay, brilliant. Uh, Robin, I think that's a nice segue there onto your question. Yes, uh, which is, I mean, this is a common activity in for me and have been for a long time. So I think it's a it's a relevant question. I could guess an answer myself, but honestly, it's I feel like this is something I'll continue learning forever. But uh, how do you uh, provide a game team with uh, 
like useful and constructive feedback that actually helps them uh, with the game development. Um, like how do you accomplish providing good feedback to a creative team, especially if you are in a position where you are in a way a bit of an outsider, like you're not actually necessarily integrated or part of the game team all the time you're coming in as somebody from outside. Yeah, this is this is a tricky one. Like I, I'd, um, I feel like you're taking it, taking a, a player's perspective in this. Uh, it's almost like you're you're one of the many internal players that are testing this game out. Um, yeah, player feedback. <laughs> so, no, I'd, um, yeah. What are your thoughts to be asked? The, the the difficulty is also trying to not come across as this is a singular uh, idea, which could be fine. Like I feel this way. Let's discuss that. But um, not saying we should do this just because I think this way. Um, and that's something I think we all struggle with at times, obviously. Um, I think it's I think it's important to try and be very uh, humble towards the towards the team and uh, being aware, as you say, call it the sort of outsider ness that you could uh, this species outsider situation that you might find yourself in. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking hopefully, you know, if, if this is actually, if this team is, is doing it properly, they are getting this feedback from more people than, than yourself. Um, this should be something that echoes through most of the feedback they're getting. Mm. Um, and in like terms a recurring of recurring theme in right, right. several and feedback. It, yeah, and going back to what we talked about earlier, like maybe you're one of the more uh, advanced players. They they should be talking to to more of that archetype, but also more of of uh, unused players or new players mm. in the game. Mm. And and hopefully that echoes more there even. Um, but I'm thinking in general, uh, providing constructive feedback uh, is almost like constru- constructive feedback towards your peers. Like uh, this makes me feel in this way uh, mm. when when I do this, and uh, you know, it leads it leads to me kind of you know uh, this is where it takes me in my gaming experience, mm. something like that. Yeah, uh, we touched upon this before as well, uh, which is again relevant and important. I think is that there is a common agreement about what the game is supposed to do or be uh, so the f- whatever feedback comes in should also be sort of relevant uh, in that context so you're not providing like if you put me on a sports game i don't play a sports game i like my feedback would become far less probably useful because i will probably want the game to be something entirely different <laughs> and that's not very good feedback uh, or like it doesn't really help anyone but if everyone can at least agree you can like about what type of game it should be and you know we all at least play those games from time to time yep. then should help the feedback yeah and and coming from a, a game team where we have a, a quite a large player base um we really do need to to look at the trends in feedback like we cannot uh if we zoomed in on specific players, we would uh, we would get lost. Like we mm. take the game in in so many different directions because there are so many different players and so many different you know thoughts and uh, on on where the game should be going. Um, so we're looking for really looking for broader trends in, in feedback. And I, yeah, going back to uh, I I think that that is on the game team. Like you mm. you can be one part in that providing that feedback. Uh, but it's from a player perspective. Mm. Yeah, I think taking a player perspective, regardless, like it's, uh, I realize this as well, like in your position, when you have a game that is live, uh, you, you can always just look at what people are actually saying. And when it's perhaps early in development, you might have far fewer of those like feedback points. Uh, again, it becomes mm. trickier because you have to sort of almost guess what a player would likely 
uh, feel or react to. Uh, but at the same time, it can be really hard when you get like, I mean, you must be getting a lot of like varied feedback from your player base, which ones should you like focus on or like do you focus on all of them do you try to prioritize maybe that comes into what marcus was saying about getting the trends of the feedback so if you're getting a lot of very varied feedback uh try to pin maybe uh try to pinpoint the sort of uh key problem that each person is having and then try to categorize that uh it might not be that uh the font size is too small or that the buttons are too spread out or whatever a person might be saying, but it, there might be a general problem about readability yeah. or UI. Um, and sort of say, where, where do we have a lot of uh, pain points in what category, for example? Mm. Um, I, I think this again uh, ties back to what was the goal of this feature from the beginning? um what were we were we did we have a specific player archetype in mind when we were designing this uh then we can zoom in specifically on that that player archetype or, mm. or that cohort of players so um yeah depending on what it is really uh like you were mentioning to be as for ui should probably be useful for all players um so then then we would be looking for general trends and in, in feedback perfect and i think that's a great opportunity to leave it there um, so this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank my guest, Tobias, Marcus, Robin, and Edward, even though he actually couldn't join us for the, uh, <laughs> for the recording in the end. Um, so thank you, everyone, for providing your insights into the topic. And thanks, everyone, for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at jordan.lound at evolution-nordics.com. And I will see you all next time.